Welcome to the Doing Good Business Podcast, designed to bring out the best in you and your organization. I'm Laura Heacock, a leadership coach on a mission to create a culture where business is the true balance of head and heart. I work with leaders and companies on how to leverage my brand of kindness to gain powerful results. And I'm Kelly Stewart of The Positive Business, helping you shift conversations to identify what works and find ways to build on that success with people, planet, and profit in mind. The Doing Good Business Podcast is the place to learn about transformational leadership qualities and purpose-driven business practices that are essential to success in today's modern market. You can make the world a better place through business, and the business case for that starts now. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. We are so excited that you are with us in season four. And as always, we are absolutely thrilled to welcome today's guest, our first guest of our fourth season, Tony Woods. Thank you so, so much for being here with us. Tony was actually uh, connected to us by a past season guest. So we'll link to that podcast as well. But Tony, thank you for being here and, and tell the audience a bit about who you are in the world and the work that you do. Yeah, well, thank you very much. It's a it's a pleasure to be here, and it's exciting to kick off 2022 with you in this in this new season. So so thanks for having me. Um, as you mentioned, I'm Tony. I am um, uh, just wrapping up my time as director and head of talent at Schmidt Futures, which is uh, the philanthropic initiative that was created by Eric and Wendy Schmidt. Um, your, your audience may know uh, Eric from his time as the CEO of Google. Uh, Wendy has been a really amazing philanthropist for for quite some time now as well, uh, and the two of them together are quite a quite a philanthropic duo. And so I've spent the last year thinking a lot about how do we find exceptional talent and bring them into the organization and help them in advancing our mission. Uh, our mission here at Schmidt Features is that we bet on early. Uh, we bet early on exceptional people who are making the world better. Uh, we do that in a variety of ways. Uh, some of that is through gifts, grants, and investments, sure. Uh, but uh, what's really exciting is our, our talent programs that find exceptional talent, support them, lift them up, bring them into networks, and then bring them together to solve hard problems. Uh, and so there's no shortage of topics that we're excited about diving into. It's a really dynamic organization in that sense. Uh, so that's what I do during the day, um, but I am also an officer in the U.S. Army Reserves. Um, I went to West Point for undergrad that kicked off uh, what I feel is that sort of uh, 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 owing back a debt of gratitude to my country. And so I continue to serve today in, in the Army Reserves as a military intelligence officer assigned at the Pentagon. Um, and I guess personally, my husband, Zach, and I, we live just outside of Washington, D.C., uh, we're restoring a historic home that was built in 1798, so that that keeps us busy. And uh, we've got two dogs and a cat. That's amazing. So your description of Schmidt Futures is, I mean, if anyone has any question about why you're here with us today, then clearly this is the first episode that they've ever listened to. So thank you so much for sharing that. And from, I'm the cat lover on the podcast. Kelly has the dog. So we are the pet friendly podcast. And I love that you're restoring a historic home. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, and I, I think you could probably hear uh, from the barking uh, downstairs that uh, that the uh, the dogs are uh, enjoying this. So it's all, I literally kicked a cat out like the minute before we got on the Zoom, so <laughs> it is all good. So Tony, I'm going to dive right in, and one of the things that you had mentioned is that you are um, currently in the military, and I know that has been a part of your career in in a few different ways. Um, so 
for our listeners that don't remember, I did spend a chunk of my career in the talent acquisition space. And I know as well as you do that we often see diversity that's lacking in areas of leadership, specifically high levels of leadership. Um, and your military career was disrupted during the Don't Ask, Don't Tell policy, despite having all of the necessary military training. So I'd love to just ask you, you know, what are some ways that you have seen organizations do well? And where can organizations learn from, you know, places where maybe it wasn't done well to have more diversity, more inclusion in those higher areas of leadership? Yeah, it's a, it's a great point. And I, I appreciate you bringing that up. You're right. Uh, my uh, career in the military was was uh, disrupted by the don't ask, don't tell policy. I violated it in the sense that I, I, I violated the tell portion. Um, you know, my two deployments made it very clear that lying uh, about who you are is actually what undermines uh, cohesion and is, is counter to the values that you care about in the military. Um, and it was very, very clear to me that, um, you know, there was no need to hide who I was in order to be an effective leader and, and, and to lead soldiers effectively, uh, overseas. Um, and so I came out, um, that kicked off an investigation, which resulted in me being discharged from the military because of the don't ask, don't tell policy. But, you know, I wasn't at all interested in, um, um, uh, you know, leaving the military, it's because the policy, you know, didn't didn't create an environment that could allow everyone to show up, be authentic, and bring their best selves to work every single day. And I think it's organizations that are that take that seriously, that recognize that, um, that create those cultures and environments where uh, people of all backgrounds can 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 thrive and bring their authentic selves to work. You know, I always I was thinking about it, and you know how how much of a burden that was lifted off of me when that policy went away, or or when I worked in an environment that wasn't you know where you didn't have this sort of huge thing hanging over your head, and you realize you're so much more productive, and mm-hmm. you're doing a lot less um, filtering of yourself, filtering of your ideas, filtering of your thoughts. That inefficiency that people of all backgrounds um, sort of have to deal with, have to wrestle, wrestle with is, I think, what causes people to, to burn out, not to want to stay in those environments for very long, and leads to exactly what you've described, lack of representation and diversity at the top of organizations. So typically, when you see organizations that are struggling with this challenge, um, it's it, it, people vote with their feet, and people move to environments that they feel like they can bring themselves to work, give their best, and um, you know, be accepted for exactly who they are. Um, so there's a lot of a lot of challenges. Um, respect the work that my organization is doing and, and wrestling with these types of questions and working on creating that environment where everyone can thrive. Um, you know, I think the standing up of employee resource groups, uh, thinking about how do we create robust mentorship opportunities for people who mentor people who don't look like them. Um, you know, how do we uh, account for um, uh, our representation at all levels, and then work proactively to to counter that. Um, you know, how do we build thoughtful um, uh, thoughtful approaches to building diverse pipelines of talent and bringing them into the organization, and then creating an environment in which they can thrive, feel invested in, and 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 progress. Right? It's it's hard to do. It's easier to say than do. Um, and it's it it takes a, it's a multi year challenge that uh, HR leaders and leaders of organizations need to take very seriously in order to in order to correct. Wow, that yeah, 
certainly a lot to think about there. And I think the mental exhaustion part of that, by the way, this is Kelly, Lauren, I sound alike. So I'll just mention that, but um, the mental exhaustion part of that is um, certainly worth noting, right? Especially when there's so much emphasis put on productivity today and, and the competitive advantage that it is. And you shared a few obstacles there, but it, it sounds like I would love to hear what you think might be the, the biggest obstacle in terms of recruiting diverse candidates. But I think I almost kind of heard that it's a build it first, right? Build the systems and um, that might make the recruiting easier. Am I going down the right path? I think you're right. And, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting, you know, we've, we've, I think a lot about this um, as, as a person who, Works with a phenomenal recruiting team here at, at my organization. I've obviously seen it at, at other at other other types of jobs and places that I've worked. You know, you can tell when an organization, uh, and I think people of color, um, uh, people of, of, of diverse backgrounds, women, um, you know, they look at an organization, and you can sort of tell, like, hmm, I'm 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 looking at your LinkedIn culture page. I'm looking at your website. You know, does this feel like? Um, you know, did you create and take a couple of diverse pictures and put them on the website? Or does this look like an organization that is authentic that, you know, is this, did this, um, you know, uh, particular cultural heritage week, day or month, is this just spring up? Um, you know, do I see representation at the top of the, of the leadership uh, rung just as, just, just as I see at sort of all levels? You can quickly do a smell test and right. understand if this is an organization that's committed to diversity, equity, and inclusion, or is this an organization that's just committed to marketing diversity? <laughs> right, right. And committed and very, very different. Oh, right. And do you, would you say comfortable too? Like that's what I would be looking for. Are you committed? The organization's committed to it, and people are comfortable with it. Like it looks like a very natural thing that's happening there. Yeah, I think that's right. And the thing that I would actually go even a step further is, is to say that it does, it's not about, I, I, would, I would want people to recognize that, you know, I know as a person who's worked at a number of, of organizations that I would say are really world-class and exceptional, um, I can't expect those places to be utopias. Um, and so I think, you know, people of diverse backgrounds come into organizations and they're willing to give a very genuine chance as long as the organization is asking genuine hard questions of itself and genuinely committing to get it right, right? So they're comfortable with having hard conversations. That's a skill, that's an organizational skill. Um, and there's a level of forgiveness that um, I think, um, you know, I bring to, to every job that I, I go to. Uh, and, I, and I think a lot of, um, you know, people of diverse backgrounds bring, uh, bring to the table. Uh, but when you realize the organization is not interested or committed in having that conversation and, and reflecting uh, seriously and putting into motion efforts, knowing that some things aren't going to stick, some things aren't going to go as quickly as you hoped, and some things aren't going to work right away. Mm -hmm. But as long as you're trying, more often than not, you'll get the benefit of the doubt. Um, and more often than not, over time, it'll it'll actually uh, you know yield results that you're excited about. So, Tony, you mentioned hard conversations, um, you know, I, as you do in probably a very similar capacity to, to the way that I do, but working with leaders every day, one of the biggest topics is having hard conversations. Um, and I hear that as a trait that helps folks really transition into having 
you know, a more equity focused mindset. Are there other traits in leaders that you can share that help them embrace, you know, equity and inclusion, you know, to Kelly's point, becoming more comfortable with it, becoming more, you know, willing to have hard conversations. I don't think anyone ever jumps out of bed and says, oh, I hope I can have five hard conversations today. But that willingness piece is a trait that I heard you share. And I'm wondering what else you've observed. Yeah, actually, I think to that one of the things that I was, you know, really excited about with with my organization is last year we actually literally invested in a three part the three part workshop where the entire organization, every single employee, top to bottom, leaders, everyone, um, went through on exactly what we just described: uh, having hard conversations. How do you do that? How do you how do you do that? Um, you know, have, bring empathy uh, an empathy lens to these types of conversations. How do we have those awkward conversations? How do we acknowledge and check power and privilege? All of these types of things, right? It was one of the most um, well attended, uh, well 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 received sorts of experiences. So I, the first thing I would say is you actually really truly actually have to commit to doing it because you're right. Not only do we not jump out of the bed saying I want to have hard conversations, we also don't know how to do that. Right. Mm-hmm. And so so there are firms out there that do this incredibly well. Um, we work with a, a brilliant woman named Jen Wynn and her team, um, and they helped us think about that. And it's 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 added value to the organization um, in ways that has, has paid dividends going forward. But your question is really about, um, you know, sort of leadership traits. Um, I think at the end of the day, um, there's a willingness to have uncomfortable conversations or brave conversations, right? That's that's obviously one, and that speaks to that uh, the point that we were just talking about. But I think there's an element of, of curiosity there. When somebody feels as though they know uh, they know it all, they know uh, uh, they know um, what's going on in that person's head, or that you know um, a, a person who comes from a background that doesn't look like them. If a leader is curious about them and their experience, it goes a tremendously long way in inviting conversation, inviting um, inviting new experiences, and, 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 and that leader welcoming that new perspective of, huh, maybe the organization does need to change some things. Maybe my perception of how you navigate the world is wrong. Um, maybe I can do a couple of things differently and it actually makes it a lot easier for you to come to this environment, bring your best self to work, and not have to, you know, sort of carry a lot of the baggage associated with fill-in-the-blank background that you bring. Uh, so I think it's it's an element of curiosity. It's it's probably related in some way to empathy. Um, but you you know you can't successfully be empathetic if you aren't curious enough to invite those conversations and invite that perspective. And I think it, it, it's something that all leaders ought to reflect on. I love that because it's accessible. You know, like we can make a choice to flip into curiosity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And curiosity is a positive emotion, right? So it does naturally evoke some of that empathy, um, compassion, things that are not there when people are being skeptical or when they mm-hmm. feel that you know they, they do have all the answers as you alluded to, because mm-hmm. then there's no room for anything else in their in their thinking. That's so curiosity exactly right. is yeah. a it's a that's a great aspect to zero in on. Yeah, and if I could add one more component that I think is is potentially component potentially related and, and, and somewhat helpful, it, it's around um, you know there, there's a there needs to be a willingness to to mentor and to give back, right? To invest in the in sort of 
the, the rungs that are below you in the organization or the generation generations that are before you uh, in life. And one of the things that I, I think is important related to the topic of diversity um, is not only um, do I think leaders and senior leaders, it's very often we think about, um, you know, you mentor people who remind you of a young you, right? And, and so it, it gets very easy for uh, if you have a non-representative uh, or a predominantly, let's say, predominantly white male sort of upper leadership team, well, they're naturally their 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 desire to mentor is, is a good one, and, and and they might happen to fall into sort of common patterns of just mentoring people who look like them, right? And so it starts to perpetuate, and it starts to make it uh, harder for new people and new faces to start to understand. Well, how do I get to the top of this organization? Yeah. Um, you know, having a champion is really really important to advancing one's career. And so I would I would challenge people to not only embrace the idea of mentorship, but challenge themselves to mentor people who don't look like them. And similarly, uh, as a mentee, uh, seek mentors who don't look like you. Right, like that actually matters a lot too. You know, for me, um, you know, my time in the military early on, I was an armor officer, and at that time, so on tanks. At that time, that is an all, that was an all male branch, and I kind of came out of the military knowing that I have some blind spots of like, well, I haven't really worked in an environment where I've had a, a woman who was a mentor in the army, and so when I you know got to uh, a job with a pretty robust mentorship program, I specifically said, well, you know, I, I really am kind of missing this perspective in my life. Would it be possible for me to be paired? With a woman who can help me give me this perspective. I encourage um, you know, people of color to do the same thing. Unfortunately, there just aren't enough um, people who look like them oftentimes in organizations. So be open to mentor pairings that, you know, this is a person who's going to offer a very different perspective to you and, and, and seek that out. And then I would encourage mentors to also do the same, to realize they, that plays a really important role in helping advance people's careers and they should seek people who don't look like them. Yeah, I love that. I often, uh, you know, if I'm talking to a group of, you know, particularly young, you know, folks who identify as women, I talk about the concept very similarly aligned to what you just said of, you know, find an advocate and the advocate doesn't have to be the person that looks like you. The person that looks like you is going to be more of an ally, but find the person that's going to say your name in a room that you're not in. Mm-hmm. 100%. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. We spoke with Lisa Fain. Um, she's the CEO of Mentoring Excellence. I guess it was last season, maybe even the one before. And she was echoing some of these things as well. Um, and to keep in mind for both mentors and mentees, right, that my normal may not be your normal, right? There's mm -hmm. a dynamic here going on. And, and how do we stay in relationship with one another? And that really struck a chord with me when we spoke with her because there isn't a parameter to that. How do we stay in relationship with one another? There's, there's no fence. We're just in relationship with one another. And mm -hmm. I think if we can drill down to what that dynamic is and how we keep fostering that, again, curiosity, right? Compassion. Mm -hmm. Then um, some of this, if I don't, I don't want to sound too cheerfully naive about it, but some of that starts to melt away. And um, when it's applied and genuinely applied. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And, and, and you know, when you've got a good organic match between yes. a mentor and a mentee, it stops, stops feeling formal and it starts feeling informal. And I think 
And I think it starts to touch on all the things we've been talking about, right? That that empathy, somebody who cares about them, they're curious about their perspective and their experience. And then it becomes really easy for that person, that mentor to feel comfortable becoming a champion for them in the rooms that that person is in. in, in, in. And, um, and I think it's that's when you start to see those like career pathways open up. And, 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 you know, mentors have made a tremendous difference in my life. Um, I think of a person named John Barry, uh, who was the head of OPM when I was the, uh, when I was a White House fellow assigned there, he went on to become the ambassador to Australia. And he's just become a person who was uh, a great mentor, a thought partner, a friend, um, and, and a person who didn't look like me in, in all ways. Hmm. Uh, but at the time, he was the highest ranking openly gay uh, official in government. Uh, and so that was certainly something I appreciated, but, um, you know, we had a very different background and, and it was, a, it was a great pairing for so many different reasons. Love it. It's amazing. Do you have any, so I'm apparently on the like tips and tricks bandwagon today, so forgive me for that, but I'm, I'm curious about, you know, what are some ways, you know, I've heard, so my last in in recruiting was many years ago at this point, but even at that time, um, you know, a lot of the conversations with folks who were hiring was, we want to give you a more diverse slate. Let's talk about, um, you know, the marketplace and and what are some skills that maybe we could make optional because we can bring a better caliber of candidate and a more, um, you know, just a different background, whether it's diversity of thought, diversity of experience, you know, any level of diversity. But do you have any great ways to expand on that? Like, how is it that we can really do a better job um, considering candidates who maybe have a background and to your earlier point about mentoring that don't look like us, you know, mm-hmm. I don't need to go hire all of the white women I went to college with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think, you know, we've, we've been touching on this, I think in, in parts throughout um, and some of it is sort of, there's a, there's a, uh, a long-term strategic approach and that starts to speak to, um, you know, what I described of, well, how do I create uh, 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 the image of an organization that is authentic, right? And it starts to show like real authentic diversity that is that is uh, sort of organic and vibrant in an organization. Well, it starts by doing those long-term, big ticket strategic items, right? Having a robust mentorship program, uh, having employee resource groups that uh, help to create um create connection between, you know, amongst people around sort of shared experience and shared, shared, shared perspective, um, you know, uh, paying close attention to, to metrics around representation at all levels of the organization, right? So there's the just sort of long-term strategic work that you have to invest in and you can't flip a switch overnight. And that, that is what it is. In parallel, I, I certainly think organizations, and I'm, I'm glad my organization thinks about it this way too, there are plenty of things that you could do. So I think, you know, you mentioned one around, you know, thinking more about competency-based um, requirements um, mm-hmm. and, and thinking thoughtfully about, well, the language that I put in this job description, who is it accidentally going to turn off or make think that this is that this program's not for you or this job is not for you? Um, you know, we've got talent programs uh, here, here at my organization and we often we we ask that question in the room of okay um if i say it this way does that mean something different to a different audience in a way that they're they're not going to see themselves reflected in this program Uh, for that purpose we actually use uh and for a lot of our programs nominators who 
who, who we almost think of as the people who are going to help tap someone on the shoulder who doesn't realize that this program is for them, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, as it relates to hiring, thinking about in this job description, what are, what are the words and phrases that I might want to avoid? Um, you know, if I use the word, you need to be an expert in this specific thing. Well, you know, a lot of guys, <laughs> idiots like myself included, you know, think like, oh, yeah, of course I'm an expert. I've, I've done that for, you know, six months. Whereas, you know, maybe maybe women w- would be a little bit more reluctant to call themselves an expert um, with with a certain number of years experience. I don't know. But it's just being thoughtful about what 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 does this, this say? Mm-hmm. Um, we've also had a lot of success going to organizations um, that, you know, focus on outreach to specific communities. Um, and, and, and thinking about, well, how can we invest in the work that they do? Um, because, it, you know, it shouldn't be just a transactional relationship. If, if they're doing this great service, well, we should help them do this for more. Um, but going to organizations that serve, um, you know, um, uh, minority communities, um, going to organizations that focus on, um, you know, women in tech, women in coding, um, you know, uh, uh, historic, uh, historically black colleges and universities, historic uh, minority universities, like these institutions, um, they get hit up quite often. So we are mindful of the fact that we're probably not the first organization that's asking them for the support, which is why I suggest you, you also show up bearing gifts uh, and you show up with a willingness to invest in them. I love that. Improve, improve their mm-hmm. um, improve their capacity to advance their mission. Um, but you know, spending that time um, and building genuine relationship with those organizations helps to turn on really great pipelines. Um, you know, we've also internally committed ourselves to ensuring that we take the time to get it right and present hiring managers with really great diverse slates of talent. Um, and the, the slate of talent isn't ready until we've built a diverse one. Um, the more we challenge ourselves to hold ourselves to that bar, um, the better. Uh, and I think organizations can do that as well. I love all of those points. Thank you. That was amazing. And especially the rewriting the job description, because I feel so often that the candidates get the lion's share of the responsibility, you know, and I'm guilty of telling women what you just said, right? Like, don't, don't discount your expertise because, you know, probably some man is applying for the job and there's data around it and all that kind of stuff. But I love the, like, let's flip that accountability to actually being on us as the people who are doing the hiring. So thank you yeah. for that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's all work in progress. And this sort of speaks to my point of, you know, no organization gets it right, right away. Um, you know, we're, um, we're working every single day to make these things better and better and better. Um, but the more you sort of look at these types of things and ask yourself, well, who, who might accidentally opt out or self-select yeah. out of this? The more you do that, I think the more, um, the more, uh, the, the better you are. I, I heard a phrase, um, something essentially along the lines of, you know, if you create a program um, and you you essentially write it from an accessibility lens first, well, uh, you know. Um, so, for example, if, if I if I uh, am seeking to make this program accessible to to women or people of color, well, then, yeah, well, men or, uh, you know, um, men will, will find the program quite easily. But if I focus on accepting or making it accessible to those who might not gain access to it first, well, that's how you really, really uh, take care of, of, of making you making sure you have a good diverse pipeline. Yes, 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 yes. Flipping it on its head a little bit and i think it with the along the lines of curiosity with leadership 
it's experimentation. I love what you said about, right? It's a work in progress. And, you know, we need to also build some of that into the strategy, into, you know, what is, what is it that we're hoping to accomplish? And that's why I'm a big fan of leading indicators as opposed to lagging indicators, like what might indicate that we're on the road to success here. So thank you for highlighting that. Sometimes I think, especially as a seasoned business leaders, we think we're supposed to have all the answers and knock it out of the park the first time, right? And that's not always the case, especially when we're creating something that didn't exist before. Yeah, yeah. And I think, Kelly, you're, you're, you're touching on a really good point, particularly, you know, seasoned business leaders have seen uh, business cycles come and go. They've mm-hmm. seen innovation curves. They've seen uh, organizations change and transform. Trends are always different, right? So like a good leader, in my opinion, is is one who recognizes that what used to work before uh, might not work today in the same way that, you know, a decade ago, that product was really novel and new and it's, 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 it's no longer. Right. right? I think we should all sort of recognize that the, the, the needs of this, of this workforce, the hiring trends of today and the demands of our workforce are just different and we need to adapt with them. And that's okay. And that leads me into, I think, what might be my my last question for our time together today, which is, I get really excited about all this, as I'm sure you do too. I get excited about, I'm an optimistic, hopeful person. So I think about this potential that we have, and I keep dreaming about all of the good things that are going to happen in the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years as we make greater strides in all of these areas. But I'm curious to know, what do you think is kind of like the full promise and potential of diverse teams where where truly, genuinely, everyone has a voice and everyone's able to bring their strengths and their perspectives to the table? Yeah, it's a, it's a really good one. Um, it's sort of hard to think of where where to start where to go with that right yeah exactly well you know i guess i might start with my my time in the military um you know i was a uh, uh at the time not openly gay but you know this gay mm-hmm. black californian and all of my soldiers uh for my first deployment to iraq were all uh from west virginia uh, and and all all but all but one of them were, were white, right? Um, and there was nothing uh, nothing more unifying than having a common purpose and a common mission. And and so it was really um, mm. beautiful to see how um, how much people can care about one another, put aside differences, and focus on on something meaningful. Um, um, and 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 with really. Uh, truly at its core to make sure that we all came home safely to our families, which, which I'm glad we did. Um, you know, and so I think, you know, I often think about, um, you know, diverse teams can uh, work together effectively. If we've talked about, you know, if, if the elements that we talked about are there leaders who are curious, empathetic. Um, but I also am excited about the fact that, you know, when you put um, good, hard problems before people, that really helps to unify teams uh, and help uh, helps to um, help people start to see about the things that make them uh, similar and, and helps to sort of bind them together and tie them together. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so when you're working on hard things together, 
um, it starts to create space. Uh, and when you feel unified and you, and you, you start to build a semblance of trust, it starts to create space for those brave conversations that we talked about. Right. Mm-hmm. I think, um, you have more workplaces that are committed to that, uh, and, uh, particularly coming out of um, the protests that, that came about uh, or, or sort of amplified after George Floyd's murder. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you have, there was a sea change and, I, and mm-hmm. I'm, I'm hopeful and I'm confident that we will, will, will capitalize on that. Mm-hmm. We'll have more brave conversations. You see more work- workplaces committed and, and investing in, 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 in uh, bringing on diverse talent and creating environments in which they can succeed, and so I think um, you know I'm 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 optimistic to see the the, the seeds that have been planted and, and the fruit that will will be born from them. Excellent, and I I love brave conversations. You know we know that words matter, right? And uh, hard conversations, right? We're setting ourselves up for an outcome already, but brave conversations sign me up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As as if I would name three words to really summarize our time together. It's curiosity, empathy, and bravery. So thank mm-hmm. you for those words and let's bring more of them into business. And, and Tony, I just want to give you a chance to share, you know, what is it that you're excited about? You know, it's the start of the new year. You know, you're right. There's, there's seeds that have been planted in the last, you know, one, two, four, 20 years that are starting to bloom. What are you excited about? What do you want to kind of leave us with looking forward? Yeah, um, I'm excited about a lot of things. I, uh, you know, it's hard. You know, we'll we'll look back on at this time and we'll realize, you know, obviously the the pandemic is 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 front and center in a lot of our minds. But, you know, I mistakenly thought that 2021 was going to be uh, very different than 2020. Oh, we all did, right? We did. <laughs> Welcome to the club. Yeah, thank God it's not just us. <laughs> exactly. But you know, I think um, as as vaccines have become more ubiquitous. Um, more widely available. We've got more therapeutics. Uh, hopefully, um, you know, a slightly uh, less less deadly variant. Um, mm-hmm. My hope is that we're able to start to get back out into the world together. Mm-hmm. Yes, I'm optimistic about doing that. Um, I mentioned before we started uh, the interview that I'm shifting focus to a new program called the Quad Fellowship, which is. Uh, focused on finding exceptional STEM talent in uh, Australia, India, Japan, and the United States, and then bringing them to the United States to go to world-class universities on scholarship for master's and PhD programs. And so I'm excited about finding really exceptional talent from around the world, from those four countries, bringing them together and helping them do more together uh, to change their change the world, give back to their communities, give back to their countries. And so hmm. when you have a mission like that uh, to work on every single day, uh, it, it gets me out of bed every morning and it, and it makes me excited for the year ahead. That's incredible. What an amazing initiative and congratulations on that appointment. Yeah, thank you so much. I'm, I'm excited about it and plenty more to follow soon. <laughs> well, thank you, thank you, thank you so much, Tony, for your time. Um, also, before we recorded, to everyone that's listening, Tony's been incredibly gracious. We have had this interview on the horizon for many, many months, so we're excited to have it. I can't think of a better way or a better person to have as our first guest of season four and of 2022. And we just wish you so much continued success and, and thank you for how you're using business to make the world better. Wonderful. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks, Tony. 
Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Doing Good Business. We hope you'll tune in regularly, leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts, follow us on Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter, and most importantly, tell a friend or a few. It's how we can build the critical mass to make the world a better place through business. The Doing Good Business podcast is brought to you by Laura Heacock of Laura Heacock Consulting and Kelly Stewart of The Positive Business. Learn how you can work with us at doinggoodbusiness.com slash the hosts. Let us know what you like about the podcast and what else you'd like to hear about through our online form on the contact page of doinggoodbusiness.com. We'll see you next time.